0: And tonight on That Kevin Show, he's a presidential candidate, Larry Elton. She stars in the new Pure Flix flick, Sun Moon, Mackenzie Mosey. He's the nation's most read pediatrician, Dr. Harvey Carr. She's the dry bar stand-up comedian of the month, Amber Autry. And she's back in the spotlight, country star, Lainey Wilson. And now, from Times Square, where the cockroaches got caught haunting the pizza rats because they got Met Gala invites, here's that Kevin! Kind of true.
2: And I'll get to that in a second, but I love this jam. All stars. These guys are all stars. Uh, the Dream and Color Orchestra, uh, Dick Tunney on Keys, Tony Mora on drums, uh, Dave Cleveland on guitar, and the one and only Sam Levine on saxophone. Just doesn't get better than that. Welcome to the weekend. Kevin McCullough. Glad to have you with us from New York. What a crazy, crazy time we live in. I mean, we have not had a bunch of people get up. In London, put on stuff, go sit in the rain for hours and hours to watch a, a, a royal be coronated in 70 years. But it happened earlier today. And uh, now uh, Prince Charles is now King Charles. He's been king for a little while. But he's officially king, uh, head of the Anglican Church, all the rest of it. Anyway, uh, he's um, he, he, he took the throne today. And uh, coming up in assignment... Uh, desk weekend. We've got, uh, an interesting story about he and, and Prince Harry. Prince Harry is the, he's not, he's not the, he's not the favorite one. He's not going to be sitting on the, on the throne unless something happens to Will and then it would fall to him. But he's, he's the spare, as he said famously on the cover of his book. Uh, but that, that happened today. And evidently it was kind of rainy and messy, but when they did the parade down the main, uh, entryway to the palace, uh, the sun came out and parted ways, and everybody got to see the, the gleaming gold coach. It was just really something to see. I'm not as into this as my as my bride is and as I know other people are, uh, but it, it is still kind of historic, which makes me ask the question, why would Meghan Markle not want her children, the king's grandchildren, to see that in person? I mean, you you always talk about how you're left out of things, and then you purposefully leave them out of things. That doesn't seem to make any sense. You your whole time you've been in the royal family you've been complaining about how, you know, ostracized and left out and everything else you were and you have an invite to come to a coronation which has only happened one time in the last 70 years. And you say forget it, never mind. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But then again, I don't know that Harry and Meghan make lot of, make a lot of sense to anybody. Anyway, uh voice man Dave he he he, he nailed it. The cockroaches got invites to the Met Gala. Did you see it? This guy has terrible aim. He can't he can't hit a cockroach that's the size of a New York taxi cab. But he jumps on his shoe. And then everybody's, everybody's all nervous about it for him, which I kind of I, I got to tell you, I get some anxiety uh, seeing that footage myself because I'm saying to myself, uh, what would I do under those circumstances? I'm not sure that I even know, uh, but that was a fairly large cockroach. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And it has it has lent itself to a bit of a um, problem because now we do have the cockroaches and the pizza rats in Times Square subway stations fighting each other. And they're getting to be almost as violent as the people. So you, you know it's you know it's a problem when the cockroaches are taunting the pizza rats saying, we got invites and you didn't, and the pizza rats are taking them downstairs, if you know what I mean. All right, uh, in all seriousness, uh, there is some other news to get to. Uh, and I was very much surprised to uh, encounter a story earlier today about Evangeline Lilly. You remember, you remember the Evangeline Lily? Dave, you remember Evangeline? She was the cutie on Lost Jack's girlfriend, but everybody wanted her to be their girlfriend. Uh, she's now uh what the wasp in the ant man and the wasp things, and they go to the quantum realm and get really tiny and everything else. Uh Evangeline Lily uh on Instagram this week took to her social media and basically ripped the entire alternating genders and substitution for each other idea to shreds. And I think that some people were surprised by that. Um, you know, she's she's kind of athletic. She's kind of tough. She's she starred in some uh major, you know, um action roles in the Marvel series, uh, between Endgame and the two um Ant Man and Wasp movies. Uh she's she's had to do a lot of stunts and she's, you know, she's in good shape. Uh, But she says, why is it that the, the society only celebrates strength and agility and stunts and it's in essence, and she used this word masculinity, when it's exhibited by women? And she said, I don't think that's a good thing. And she said, I also don't understand why we would celebrate femininity in men. And she said, "There can be strong and soft sides to each person, but if you don't if you don't understand that masculinity is something that we should celebrate in our men, and that femininity is something that we should celebrate uh, in our women, you're you're kind of goofy." And I've not heard um, Evangeline Lilly ever make a public statement about anything related to politics before. I know she was, I know she had some sort of um, issue with the COVID vaccine mandates. I don't know if she was, I don't know if she was against the vaccines, but I know that the mandates kind of irritated her. And she said some things on social media about that, but she's, and you got to understand the environment that this is, that she's saying this in. she's saying this in light of the fact that we have Dylan Mulvaney on the cover of beer and candy bars and I don't know, cereal and he's he's the now he's the spokesperson for Nike uh women's workout leggings and bras and women's tennis shoes and all of those spokesperson gigs that are intended to be celebrated for women he's he's racking all that in uh Leah Thomas taking all of the trophies away from the girls because he was swimming in the girls division and now he's he said, no, I'm done with that. I'm out. I'm going back to the men's division next year. I mean, if if I was Evangeline Lilly, I know that I would have some issues with all of this. Because if you're a woman today, you know, an actual woman, a woman that has the woman parts, you, there's there's a certain degree of utter and complete ign- ignoring of you and your sex completely uh, in, in how the culture is, is transpiring right now. And whether it's trying to get um, kids to transition without their parents' permission or knowledge, even like they're trying to do in Washington State, or even just the use of pronouns and secret identities at, at schools uh, in, in schools across the country where they don't tell the parents anything, we, I think we're sowing some very bad seed in, into the whole discussion. So what she's saying, in light of all of the the political pressure that the culture is putting on everyone to go in a certain direction. She's like, no, I don't want to. It's okay to have masculine men. It's okay to have feminine women. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's fine if you want to celebrate a stunt woman who can do, you know, scary stunts and and, and does them really well. And, you know, she's, she's great at her job. But there's no need to... Only celebrate it when it's a woman who's doing it. If men can do it, and maybe they can do it better, she says celebrate them as well. Anyway, good on Evangeline Lilly. I, I was a little surprised to see and hear all that, just because you don't see a lot of Hollywood stars taking stands on things like that, but I was glad that she did. All right, we've got an enormous show. He's running for president after he just ran for governor of California, where he won 57 of 58 counties. Can Larry Elder pull off the impossible? He talks
0: with me next here on That Kevin Show.
3: It's that Kevin show. I knew it. Uh, Come on, Kev. What's a few classified documents between friends? I told
0: you. I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some too. Here he is. That Kevin. Kevin McCullough. All right. My next
2: guest is someone who has done the courageous, almost the unthinkable. He has thrown his hat into the ring to run for president in 2024. In a day and age in which everyone's saying this is going to be the matchup of two old men at the end of the road, could there be someone very different uh, in the mix? That is the uh, hope and the ambition of one Larry Elder, who is not only uh, a fantastic uh, spokesperson for the things that he believes, but also I consider him a good friend. Larry, it's great to see you.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate
2: it. The last time we spoke, you had just come off of a brutally uh, intense number of short weeks running for governor in California. Uh, my listeners may not completely remember all of the circumstances there, but you even though you did not win, you fared quite well. In fact, in the it's a two-part election in the second part, you took 57 of 58 counties and got nearly four million votes statewide. Um, I'm sure that some of this is the basis for why you've made the decision and the announcement to run for president. But can you go a little bit deeper into the thinking behind it all?
3: Well, that's exactly what it is. I got into the race very late, Kevin, with only eight weeks left. And in eight weeks, I raised $27 million, more than all the other replacement candidates Combined, As you pointed out, California has 58 counties. We carry 57. By the way, the only one I lost, Kevin, was San Francisco. <laughs> I lost that by less than 200 votes. Wow. It's been one dime or one uh, minute uh, there, uh, and we almost carried that county. Uh, and the party wanted a guy named Kevin Faulkner, the two-term mayor of San Diego. Uh, the state party uh, wanted somebody named Kevin Kiley, who's now in, uh, in Congress. He's in the Sacramento area. I carried San Diego County by 30 points. And I carried the areas where uh, Kevin Kiley uh, now governs by also between twenty and thirty points. So by any stretch of the imagination, it was an extraordinary race. No one has won anything Republican statewide in California in over 20 years. And that's well, because, because the math is so daunting. There are uh for every one registered Republican, there are there are three non-Republicans. Uh, and so it's almost impossible to win. The reason I did it was because it was a recall election. If the ball had carried the right way, I could have gotten in with as little as 25 or 30 percent of all the votes cast. And then my hope is I would have been in Sacramento for two years before the uh, re-election, And they would have realized that I don't have horns. I don't have a tail. I have some ideas about what to do, about how we should have handled the uh, coronavirus pandemic, what to do about schools, what to do about homelessness, and how to reverse the fact that in the last couple of years, 500,000 people have left California uh, for the sunny climes of Texas, Florida, and other places. So that's really what informed the decision. And half of the uh, of the donors, Kevin, there were 150,000 of them, half of them came from outside of California. And so when the race is over, I go to Key West to chill out, lick my wounds, and, um, Elder, we, I, I, I followed your race. I gave you money. Uh, drinks are on me. Uh, dinner's on me. That's why I gained almost 10 pounds, haven't been able to lose it. <laughs> so many people, Kevin, said, Why don't you run for president? And at first I thought they were smoking something, but the more I thought about it and the more I felt the same way about California, that I felt I had a patriotic, a moral, and a religious obligation to give back to a country that's been so good to me. I would rather not spend my winters in Iowa, not spend my winters uh, uh, in New Hampshire, not take the financial hit that I'm taking, but I feel that I would be shirking my responsibility uh, as a citizen if I didn't do what I think I can do. I know that I have something to offer. I know I have something to say.
2: Let, let's talk about some of the uh, micro stuff, and then I'm, I want to get to a couple of macro questions that you're go- you're going to have to answer somewhere. So that you may as well answer them with me first. Um, but let's talk about the uh, the RNC announced debates uh, today, and there's a couple of them coming up, and there's probably going to be a metric to make that debate stage. And it, my guess is it's going to be a certain number of donors to. Uh, a political action fund uh, to date, and it's going to require maybe 1% registering in a poll somewhere. Do you think, as we sit here right now, uh, and they're a ways off yet, do you think you can get to that threshold in enough time to qualify for the first two?
3: I do. Uh, As far as name recognition is concerned, as you know, Kevin, I've been on radio for 30 years. Last several years, I was syndicated by Salem. I'm an El Dorado.
2: I'm a founding member. So, yes, I I very much understand that.
3: And so uh, I've got pretty high name recognition. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, in my California race, there were 150,000 individual donors. Uh, And I think the metric is going to be for the Milwaukee debate, probably have to have at least 50,000 individual donors. I don't think we're going to have any difficulty reaching that.
2: All right. Well that's that's so that's one of the, the micro uh, steps in between uh now and then. Uh there's also going to be a pretty interesting field that's already starting to form. You've got Nikki Haley, you've obviously got forty five, uh you've got um the uh, entrance of uh who just announced uh, last week. Um just announced. Say that.
3: Asa Hutchinson just announced
2: today. Yeah, well, Asa Hutchinson John Bolton technically announced a few weeks back. I mean, there's a lot of kind of interesting characters that are kind of fringe, but I don't really consider you one of those. You you're you're someone has a serious message and has made at least a serious attempt at a very very ambitious uh, run for office. It's it's not a the last Republican governor of California was Arnold Schwarzenegger and that was eons ago. Um So you you can't be laughed off as someone who, you know, is not uh, serious about what you're doing. Um, But there are some intangibles that you bring to the race that no one else in that field does. And talk about that uh, for us a little bit, your appeal to voters that Republicans don't normally attract.
3: Right. But before I I, I get into that, I just wanted to mention about the the gubernatorial thing. Uh, Keep in mind, California is the fourth largest country uh, in the world, if it were a separate country. Uh, and I ran for that top job. And there was another fellow who ran unsuccessfully for governor, uh, became a, a twice-elected uh, president. His name was Richard Nixon. And uh, Donald Trump hadn't won, hadn't run for anything, let alone uh, for the largest state in the union. So there's that. But here's what I think I'd bring to the table, Kevin, to answer your question. Notice notice how much of a politician I've become already. uh, uh this notion that uh, America is systemically racist, which which is what drives the Democrat Party, that's their narrative, and the reason they do it is not so much that I believe they all believe it. I believe that they want to make sure that Black people think of themselves as victims, as eternally oppressed, uh, and therefore they will pull that lever for the Democratic Party, like Lemmings, because the Democrats have successfully uh, positioned themselves as the a party that cares about social justice and inequities. We wear the white hat in that battle. these SOBs, these Republicans wear the black hat. Uh, Without getting that nearly 90 to 95% black vote, they cannot win at the presidential level, and they know it. I can refute that narrative, I think, in a more effective way than probably most of the other people can. Having been raised in the inner city, my father never knew his biological father, Uh, left home at the age of 13, Athens, Georgia, Jim Crow South, joined the Marines. He ended up cleaning toilets, two full-time jobs, started a little cafe in his uh, in his late 40s, ran it until his uh, mid-80s. And my dad, when he retired, owned that little restaurant, the piece of property next door, plus the house we still have in our family. And when my dad retired, his net worth was a little bit under a million dollars. That's what you can do in America. And my dad, by the way, was a lifelong Republican and said this about Democrats. Democrats want to give you something for nothing. When you try and get something for nothing, you almost always end up getting nothing for something. Uh, And so this message that the police, for example, are engaging in systemic racism against black people, not only is just wrong, not only does it insult cops, not only does it demoralize cops, it's causing what's called the Ferguson effect or the George Floyd effect.
2: That is the voice of Larry Elder. We're coming right back uh, with the presidential candidate now declared for 2024. Don't go away. Ready or not, we'll be right back. Elder uh, here on that Kevin show. Uh, glad to have you with us across uh, Salem News Channel, Biz TV, 300 radio stations plus, uh, all the podcasts and streaming and all that jazz that uh, happens afterwards. Larry, uh, you and I have known each other a long time, and um, I'll never forget a, a morning that we had breakfast uh, together. I think we were at the uh, uh, presidential convention covering it for talk radio for Salem at the time, but we had a very kind of elongated breakfast uh, at the at the hotel uh, cafe there. And we talked at some depth about the importance of fathers. And we just went to break. You were bringing up this issue of fatherlessness in the country. Um, there's not going to be a discussion on the debate stage for either party on that topic. You're going to have to wedge that in. But when you do, you're going to touch people in ways that no one else is going to have the really the the wherewithal to be able to respond to on a practical level, how deep does that does that uh, topic touch people? Is it as important as uh, inflation in the economy and President G, and all the things, all the other challenges that uh, Joe Biden has really uh, screwed up in our country, uh, does that cut through to the level where people uh, really feel it and sense it?
3: Yes, it's at least as important as those issues, Kevin, because what will come up on this stage uh, is crime. Excuse me, what will come up on the stage uh, is the quality of our, of our government schools, the fact that because of covid kids already behind, lost a whole a year of math uh, and of reading. It's not just losing the whole year of math and reading. It translates into loss of, of earnings throughout their entire life. And this, again, is a function of the breakdown of the family. Uh, my good friend uh, Walter Williams once told me, the economist, if there's nobody in your house to make sure that you have been fed, clothed, housed, and educated— to make sure that you've done your homework and gone to bed on time, you are in deep, deep voodoo. Mm. And all too often, you do not have that kind of structure in the home. It has all sorts of other consequences. It also causes crime, an increase in crime. Uh, A young black male, age 10 to 34, uh, Kevin, I'm not kidding you, is 13 times more likely to be murdered than the young white male in the same demo. Mm. Uh, And Almost always the murderer is another young black male, not some sort of racist cop. This, again, is a function of the breakdown of the family. Unless you're prepared just to say that Blacks are just genetically inclined to commit more crime, you have to ask yourself, what the hell is going on here? And what's going on here is the absence of fathers.
2: A fair uh, observation about that is if that is as important as those other questions, what does Larry Elder bring to those other issues, the inflation, the the uh, foreign affairs, the national security, the, the border, all the things, the, the freedom of speech that got taken away, the ability to to make vaccine decisions for ourselves. There's so much that uh, that is that is going to be in the mix this year uh, or this go around. What what is your what is your agenda? What is the elder plan?
3: My feeling, Kevin, not having uh, heard all the other candidates, is that for the most part, uh, we all pretty much have the same views about uh, about inflation, the excessive spending, uh, not paying people not to work, uh, the war on oil and gas, the fact that the borders are porous, the wall needs to be built, we ought to have a uh, choice uh, in uh, in education, uh, uh, we ought to reduce regulations. I think all of us, if we're, if we're from the Republican wing, Republican Party, pretty much have those views.
2: The very famous uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson uh, ran for president. It seemed like almost as an industry at a certain point in time in his career. And when he was asked at one point in time, uh, why are you doing this? Because no one thought he was going to ever get the nomination. Um, He said, there are many reasons to run for an office other than to win the election. And. People are making that observation about the Republican field. I haven't heard anybody say your name specifically, but they're saying Nikki Haley's running for vice president and Mike Pompeo, if he had decided to run, was running for secretary of state or defense. Um, When and if this objection is raised, what is Larry Elder's answer on the trail?
3: It's real simple. I'm running to win. And I'm not running against uh, 45. I'm not running against Ron DeSantis. I'm not running against Nikki Haley. I'm running against the Harris-Biden administration. We cannot endure four more years of, of uh, taxing, spending, of the way he pulled out from Afghanistan, of the way that he uh, browbeat the states into shutting down their economies because of COVID. Uh, we can't take this, uh, the way that uh, he paid people not to work. Uh, And so that you can't, uh, there was a study done by a bunch of economists, Bank of America, Kevin, that found out that people who made 30 grand or less were better off staying home. And he was advised against this by Larry Summers, the former Secretary of Treasury, Democrat under Bill Clinton, and did it anyway. So uh, we cannot endure four more years of 5 million illegal aliens coming across our borders, having no idea who they are, where they are. Several of them are on, very likely on the terror watch list. And whoever the nominee is, I think it's in our our job to coalesce behind him or her and make sure that we defeat a Biden-Harris in November of 2024.
2: Um, If people want more information, where do they go?
3: Elderforpresident.com. That's elderforpresident.com.
2: Barry Elder, uh, great seeing you, friend. Appreciate you being here.
3: My pleasure, Kevin. Thank you for having
2: me. Kevin McCullough coming right back. Don't go away. Ready or not, we'll be right back. So glad to have you with us, and I want to say, very, very earnestly, a deep, heartfelt thank you to those of you, um, and there's a few dozen of you so far, that have jumped on board with us on our um, anti-slavery, anti-human trafficking campaign for 2023. Uh, and I have tremendous news to report to you. We we got a list at the beginning of the year. That had 192 names of individuals that uh, our partners, Christian Solidarity International, have identified as slaves that are currently held in northern Sudan that are conceivably able to be liberated this year. And when the violence in the Sudan capital broke out a couple of weeks ago, I got very nervous and I was like, how is this going to impact what we're doing? Thankfully, it has not impacted it at all. And as a result, we have a very, very uh, cool uh, report to give to you tonight. And that is that in the midst of all of the turmoil that's going on, we have been able to liberate thus far this year, 46 of the 192 that are on the list. And I just want to say thank you. Those of you that have uh, made the gifts have stood with us and have made that possible. And um, obviously, we still have a ways to go. The goal is all 192 by the end of 2023, but I to I, I just want to say thank you. That's that's an incredible number, um, and that's you know quite a few more from last week, and that that just that blesses me personally. But if you're just joining us for the first time, maybe wondering what what's the program consist of, mm-hmm. and let me just really briefly tell you, when the when the civil war ended between the Sudans. When South Sudan was formed, and basically it was allowed to become its own country, which was largely uh, Christian in nature, Um, the peace between Northern Sudan and South Sudan went into effect. But nobody did anything about the hundreds of thousands of women that had been taken as slaves by the North. None of the countries did anything. And Christian Solidarity International has been, on a one-by-one basis, negotiating and securing the release of these slaves— uh, in very, very meticulous fashion, just one at a time, going and identifying them, finding them, and getting them liberated. Now, we ask you for a $250 gift, and what happens with that $250 is you, in essence, provide everything that the slave needs once they've relocated to South Sudan uh, for their their life. It, it gives them a year's worth of food, a year's worth of seed to plant for food for the following year. It gives them... Uh, utensils to cook uh, so uh, garden uh, even to fish uh, with and and it gives them the ability to kind of begin to stand on their own uh, two feet it gives them uh, some helps in terms of uh, uh, shelter to be able to be uh, protected from the weather blankets to be kept warm it, there's just a bunch that goes into what's called this bag of hope and kind of the coolest part of all of it is the little she goat that each slave gets when she is, uh, liberated. And that turns into a little micro enterprise, uh, making cheese, milk, et cetera, having more, uh, kidlets and being able to sell those and help support her family, et cetera. But uh, that's, that's what's happened in the, when, when you give your, when you give your $250 gift, that is what, uh, ends up being given to the slave as they've come out of, um, their terrible situation in northern Sudan. But I want you to know um, exactly the types of people that we are liberating and the types of people that have been helped by what we've done. Take a listen. This is the story of Nayanut.
1: My name is Nanyanute. I was about 15 years old when I was captured. My mom had spent the last few days teaching me all about what it meant to be a good wife and a mom showing me how to cook and sew. She had hoped I would get married in the future. One day I was out collecting firewood and that was when the Arabs found me and captured me and took me to Sudan without the chance to tell my family goodbye. It took me many days to walk the complete journey. They gave us boiled sorghum as we went. And the men that had been captured with us faced grave dangers they were considered to be spies and most of them were killed right in front of us upon arrival in the north i was sold to a master in miriam village and then i was sold almost as quickly to another arab in magalagate he made me work for his family sweeping the compound and washing the dishes they worked me long and terrible hours pounding sorghum fetching water And then they said, in order to be a good Muslim woman, I would need to be circumcised. I was held down as it happened, and then I was forced to marry. Against my will, they forced me to work, even when I was sick. If I did anything that made them angry, they would beat me. My master never bought me any clothes, never paid me for any of my work, and barely ever fed me. Then one day, I heard about a CSI retriever, and I ran to find them in the town. As it turned out, they were freeing slaves in my region, and they had not known about me. But I think God allowed me to find them, because they brought me home. We walked that same journey back to South Sudan. And today I thank God because I am free. I thank the Arab Retriever because he helped. I thank CSI and for those who gave. I cannot thank those of you who gave money to help us become free ever enough in all of my life. But I do hope that my prayer is answered, that we will not stop until they are all free.
2: That's the story, the real true life story of Nayanut, and as it was told to the CSI team and then interpreted into English and obviously uh, voiced over by an actress that um, interpreted that story. But friends, that's the kind of people that we're freeing right now. When you call 1-888-342-1010, 888-342-1010, 888-342-1010, or you go to that website. Uh, bringherhome.org bringherhome.org uh, and tonight friends we we need your help uh, there are 146 uh, slaves names still on that list from the beginning of the year of 192 and with your help we will bring all of them home this year but we need your help and because of your faithfulness in years past we've literally seen about 4,000 liberated coming right back ready or not He'll be right back. That
4: Kevin. Serving it up with a no drink minimum. It's That
2: Kevin Show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the new music spotlight stage, the one, the only Laney Wilson. Great comparisons to country classics like Dolly Parton. But she's got her own signature, the one and only Laney Wilson, in tonight's New Music Spotlight. She will be back on the Spotlight stage in Hour Two. Kevin McCullough, live from New York, from Times Square. So thrilled to have you here. Come on back. Hour Two's just ahead. Hey, get the soundtrack. Search hashtag New Music Spotlight on Spotify or Apple Music.